Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. The word of the Lord is going to be found in Acts. We're going to do part two of Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? That is a very important question for every decision, for every move that we make, and every action that we take. Because when we move in the will of God, we have good success. We're able to endure hardness with joy because we know we're in the will of God. Even in affliction, because many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. When we are in his will, we cannot be stopped. We're more than conquerors. And so we want to look once again at Paul, who was breathing murders and cruelty against the people of God. Although he had a zeal for God, it wasn't according to knowledge. His zeal was great for God that he didn't even know. The first question he asked is, Lord, who are you? And then he asked, what would you have me to do? So on his way to Damascus, with the authority of the chief priest, having letters to bind anyone and everyone who was in the way, he had an encounter. An encounter that changed his life for the rest of his life. The encounter was so powerful that his encounter affects you and me in 2022 because he wrote 14 epistles that we read in the Bible. God is able to do according to his will anything. Nothing is hard for him. Nothing is impossible for him, but he needs a yielded vessel. And Paul labored more than all the apostles because he realized that he spent his time and energy fighting against a God that he thought he was fighting for. And it is the will of God that none of us be found in that position. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it is outright rebellion, and other times it is me or you in our own strength trying to do what only God can do. And we have to do things his way and in his time in order to walk in his will. Let's begin in Acts 9 and 6, just to relay the foundation. So he, he being Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. There's not a lot of information given here other than to Paul, who asked the question, what do you want me to do? He said, arise and go into the city, and then you'll be told what to do. The first step that we take with God is the step of obedience. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't know everything, but we go, and he will, we will understand it better as we go. And so Paul didn't ask any questions. His comrades who were around him had to help him. There are times when we're moving in the will of God that we can't go alone because we can't see our way. God, I wish you would make this plain for your people. We can't see our way, so we need others. God will send others to take us to where we're supposed to be. Many times, other people see in you and in me what God is calling us to do before we see it, and God confirms it through them. 
It's amazing how God can use those around us, vessels that don't even know that they belong to God, but they're being used by him to lead us into our destiny. Paul is speaking to the Lord for the first time. He gets, he gets some instruction, but not the whole picture. So how does Paul know what to do once he gets into the city, but he had a promise? You will be told what you must do. Let's go a little further. Let's go to verse 15, Acts 9. We're going to read verses 15 through 18. But the Lord said to him, go. Now he's talking to Ananias the one who he was sending to Paul. But Ananias had said to God, if you read a little bit above that, not right now, but later you can. He said, Lord, I know this, Paul. You, he's doing some, some bad stuff to your church and to your people. You sure you want me to go to him? And th this was the answer. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Here's what I want you to see. God is giving Ananias information he had not yet given to Paul. He only told Paul to go to the city. But Ananias knows what Paul is going to become before Paul knows it. And God does that often. So if you just pay attention, you'll get, a, you'll get direction. Just go to a street called Street. And God will tell you what you must do. So you don't want to be a person who thinks I got it all together and it's all in me. That's called arrogance. God is able to use anybody at any time for his purposes for you and for me. Because whatever God has for us to do is going to get done. Let's go to verse 16. For I will show you how many things... He must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias knows that Paul is called to suffer before Paul knows it. Paul will soon find out. But God is giving Ananias this information so that he can be comfortable knowing that I've already worked out something with Paul. You don't have to fear him. He, in fact, he said he's praying now. He's not the same Paul who was wreaking havoc. He's praying now. And there, it's amazing when Paul was praying, what actually happened? And we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go to verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it is something that Paul had already seen in a vision. Ananias, who was to come. Ananias had already been told by the Lord what Paul was doing, that he was praying and he's waiting. Jesus said, he's waiting for you because he's seen you in a vision. Here's what I want you to see. Paul was blind for three days. His natural sight was gone. The bright light took away his sight on the road to Damascus. So now he's fasting, he's praying, not that he intended to fast, but he didn't eat for three days. And he just prayed. And while he was praying, he saw Ananias in a vision. He can't see because his natural sight has been taken, but his spiritual eyes were open. Sometimes God has to do something in order for our spiritual eyes to be open. Paul thought he was spiritual. He was a Pharisee. He was doing all these things, but spiritually he was blind. God took his natural sight so that he could receive his spiritual sight. While he is praying, he sees. He sees someone in a vision. 
I want you to know they're seeing beyond your natural sight. They're seeing beyond our natural sight. And it's the will of God that we see those things. That's how mysteries are revealed. That's how we see things before they come. God is able to reveal them to yielded vessels. Let's read the last verse, verse 18, before we move on. Verse 18 says, Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. The scales fell from his eyes because the purpose that Jesus, the Lord Jesus gave to Ananias was twofold. For, for Paul to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when he laid his hands, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. May the scales fall from our eyes. And he received his sight at once. Paul received his natural sight. The scales fell so that his spiritual sight would be intact as his natural sight came back online. And Paul arose and was baptized. What can we do? What should we do to avoid going down the road that Paul went down? I'm not just talking about Damascus. I'm talking about his behavior, his conduct, his zeal. He was very religious, but he missed God until that encounter. And I love the fact that he was able to see spiritually because of that experience, and he never lost his spiritual sight nor his natural sight again although he was plagued later in life and in his ministry with his natural sight. He had some infirmity of his eyes, but his spiritual sight never dimmed. I want you to know your spiritual sight is more reliable than your natural sight. As Father Time creeps in, we need eyeglasses and then bifocals and then sometimes that don't even help but your spiritual eyes are never dimmed. It doesn't matter what happens. Even I've seen people whose minds, their minds are not as sharp as it used to be, but their spiritual vision and sight is undiminished. There's something about seeing spiritually that is irreplaceable. That's why I love the words of the song that says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. That sight is spiritual sight. When you encounter Jesus like Paul did, you receive sight. Paul was still for three days without his natural sight, but he saw something in a vision. How do you see when you're blind? Because there's another level of sight. There's another level of sight that brings insight. There is sight that brings insight, and that's spiritual sight. God let the scales fall from somebody's eyes. Let somebody receive their sight today. Let your word go out as spirit and life and cause it to be so. There's, there's an Old Testament companion that can teach us some lessons, and there are three things that I hope to impart today. One is that you don't miss God. Two, that we would cast down pride and humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And three, that we would receive our sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit, just as it was for Paul.
There's a case study in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. 2 Kings 5 and 1 reads, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper, but a leper. Leave that there for just a moment. This man, Naaman, was exceptional. He was extraordinary. I know this to be the case because he was a leper, yet he was the commander of the army of the king. Lepers were not, they were so infectious, they were not permitted to be in close proximity to people, but this person was at the right hand of the king in spite of his leprosy. How exceptional must he have been to overlook this severe, highly transmissible, infectious disease. We understand that with the day we're living in. He still allowed him to come close. That would be like someone that you know is COVID positive and they have symptoms, but they're so exceptional. You say, come to work and sit at your desk right next to me. That's what this was like. He was honorable. He was great and honorable in the eyes of his master. All lepers were looked down upon. They were seen as outcasts. They had to live in colonies. But he was sitting right next to one of the greatest kings, the kings of Syria, who had just raided Israel, had just raided Israel. And this man was exceptional but yet he was a leper. But if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this verse, one thing, because this is how many people miss God. It's the part that says, talks about how great and honorable he was in the eyes of his master. And then it says, because, because, by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Naaman had no idea that the victory he received was from the Lord. The king of Syria had no idea that the victory was from the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. They worshiped a God named Ramon. They were pagans. There's no doubt that the exceptional state or position that Naaman had, he thought it was because he was a man of valor. I'm a mighty man of valor. I've gotten this because I am who I am. I've trained. I'm, I know how to war. I've won wars for the king, and that's why I'm in honor in his sight. He doesn't know that it's the Lord who gave him the victory. There's so many people walking around who are, who are exceptional, who are doing well, and they miss God because they think it's because of them. They don't know that it's God who gave them the victory. God gave me an insight to something that's happening right now to Mark Zuckerberg, and I started to pray for him. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I started to pray for him earnestly because God made this so real. You may know that this past week, the company formerly called Facebook, which is now Meta, had the largest single day loss of value in the history of the stock market. In one day, $240 billion wiped out of their market cap in one day. For Zuckerberg personally, he lost $20 billion in one day. And God let me know that the things that he's accomplished, I don't think he's yet 40 years old, He's one of the richest people on the face of the earth, has a billion people on his platform, but now all of a sudden, things turn. He's under immense pressure because of the competition from TikTok. He's losing, he's hemorrhaging losers, users. So he's hemorrhaging users, and then his, his, 
the value goes way, way down. $240 billion, the most in the history of the stock market. And I think there's more to come. He has, he changed the name of his company to Meta. And then he has the infinity symbol right next to it. And he's preparing the world for the metaverse. You, you've heard of metaphysics, which is beyond physics. Metaverse, beyond the universe. All of these things, when I watch my, my little ones play, most of what they're doing now is virtual. You put this stuff on, they're preparing their minds. They're getting them ready. Our currencies are changing. You have Bitcoin and all this other stuff, these emerging currencies. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is this, we're entering into a modern-day Babylon, and he's leading the charge. Could it be that God is trying to get his attention by impacting the things that matter to him the most, the things that he felt that he built with his own hands and doesn't acknowledge the God who's given him the ability to get wealth. I'm talking about the God who maketh rich and addeth not sorrow. I promise you that was a sorrowful day for Mark Zuckerberg. And I began to pray, God, I pray that there's a rabbi in his life or somebody who has insight who can counsel him so that he can change course. Can you imagine if Mark Zuckerberg has a Paul of Tarsus experience, the ability that he has with the largest platform in the world to impact the world. I don't know where this is gonna end up, but I see, I can discern where we are, and I sense what God is trying to say. But sometimes people miss God because they're not listening. They're already tied up and wrapped up in their success and they, they believe, they honestly believe in their bones, I'm gonna turn this thing around. I'm a brilliant strategist. I've done it before, I can do it again. Not knowing, just like Naaman, that it was the Lord who gave them victory. So I pray that God would cause the scales to fall from his eyes and that his eyes would be open and he would know that there's only one God. And that God is the one who giveth and the one who taketh away. That God is the one who raises up and the one who pulls down. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It's the Lord who puts up one and pulls down another. Let's go a little bit further. Verse seven and eight reads, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, Please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Leave that verse there for a moment, just for context. Syria had just raided Israel. And in the raid, there was a young lady who they brought in who was now a servant, a slave. And she saw Naaman. And she saw how honorable he was, but she saw that he had a problem. He was a leper. And she said, oh, that my master would send you down to Samaria in the land of Israel. There's a prophet there who could heal you. He could heal you of your leprosy. Naaman heard it, and he went to his master, the king. That young lady must have had credibility because Naaman went to the king, and as kings do or those in authority do, if there's someone who has the power to do it, it must be the king because they think, that's how governments think. 
that we can do it all. In a minute, I want to show you something. But he sends the letter to the king, not to the prophet. He doesn't go seeking the prophet of God. He goes seeking his peer because he knows, look, I'm a mighty king. I get what I want. And even though I just raided the king of Israel because of my authority and because of my power, when I send the letter, he's going to respond. I know that he might count me as an enemy because what I just did, I came and ramshacked them, but he also fears me. So I'm going to send this letter. When the letter arrives, the king tears his clothes and says, am I God? I don't have the power to do this. I want you to know that the day is coming where powerful leaders are going to recognize the limits of their power. They're going to recognize there's some stuff I just can't do. God is stirring some people right now who are going to be able to stand like Elisha and be able to do what those who are limited by earthly power can't do because they're going to begin to tap into heaven. That's when the church of God is going to have influence. I need you to hear me today. Let's go to the next verse to make this more, more clear. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the, to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, please. King, I know you're upset. I know you think the king is trying to start a fight with you. I know that you see that you have limited power. You can't do it, but please let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. God told me to tell you the day is coming where leaders both local and nationally and internationally are going to know that there's a prophet of God in their midst. They're going to know there's a prophet among them because they're going to reach the limits of their power. And God's going to send somebody to do something that only God can do. And they're going to recognize that God, there's a king of kings. See, the king of Israel of Samaria knew that he was the king and he thought that was it. There was no power above him. But Elisha knew that there was a king of kings. Elisha served the king of kings. So he said, please send them to me. They're going to know that there's a prophet in Israel. I, I can heal him. The God that I serve is able to heal him. The God before whom I stand and whom I serve can stretch out his hand and heal his leprosy. Please Send him to me. So when powerful people are pulling their hair out, tearing their clothes, they don't know what to do. God's got somebody. God's got somebody who can come in and be a vessel to be used by God to do what cannot be done by any earthly means. I'm, I'm excited about what God is about to do. He's positioning us for this. He's purging. He's cleansing. A lot of the things that are happening to shake us is to cleanse us of all these things that don't add to the value of the kingdom, that don't release the power of God. God is saying, I want you to get rid of all that stuff. I need some folk who can represent me like my servant, Elisha, who knows who he is, who knows who I am, who understands the limits of earthly power, and who can usher in the kingdom of God. Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Mark my words, there are going to be examples that we're going to see in our generation of God doing things that starts to turn the hearts of people, just like the heart of Naaman began to start, to turn. Let's go to verse 15. Let's develop this thing a little bit more. And he returned to the man of God. Now, this is after Naaman was healed. I need to say this. Initially, 
his pride almost caused him to miss God because he told him to go wash in the Jordan. He's like, I'm from Damascus. Our waters are blue and clean. We got that Caribbean stuff going on. Do you got dirty, dingy water? I'm not doing that. He has leprosy, but he still has it going on, right? He's a man of valor. He's not, he hasn't hit what you would call bottom, but he had a servant with him who said, wait a minute. The man of God is asking you to do a simple thing. If he asked you to do something miraculous, wouldn't you do that? Why not just go and wash and see what happens? He followed the instruction. He dipped seven times, and the Bible said his skin was as smooth as a baby's. He had someone beside him. There's some things, some places that we go, and some things that we must do that we, it's, we have no business going alone. Paul needed those to help him to get to the street called straight. Naaman needed someone to help him to humble himself and not allow his pride to cause him to miss God. The same is true for you and me. So now Naaman, after he's healed, healed, he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Therefore, now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Leave it for a minute. Because of what God had done, because his king couldn't do it, who he stood next to, the king of Israel was so distraught, he thought this was an act of war. He ripped his clothes. He see all these powerful people couldn't do it. And then he meets a prophet of God who never even touches him, doesn't even come out of his house. See, that's the thing. There are too many people who want to be recognized for what's in their hands, who want to be recognized for what they can do. They want to show up so they can get the credit. Elisha wanted God to get the glory. He didn't even come out of his house. He just told him what to do. And he did it. And he said, now I know that there is no God except the God in Israel. If Elijah would have laid hands, he might have said, now I know that you are a prophet. He would have focused on him, made him an idol. But Elisha did what God told him to do, and then Naaman ultimately did what God told him to do, and then Naaman received his sight. He said, I know there is no God in all the earth. He comes from a pagan nation. He knows all those gods are not God. This God is God because nobody could do for me what this God has done. I lived with this all of my life, and now in an instant, seven times in a dirty river, I believe God sent him to the dirty waters to let him know, I don't care if it's muddy. I can cause you to be clean in the mud. He's the lily in the valley, a lily that's white. Even in, in the marsh, even in the swamp, it maintains its purity. Well, I'm talking about the lily in the valley. He can get into mess. He can get into the muck and the mire and still clean you up and cause you to be clean because he makes you clean inside. So now he gets this insight. He receives his sight. Let's go to the next verse. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elisha didn't want to receive anything because he didn't want Naaman to think that he had anything to do with it. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a servant. It's God who healed you. You ought to give glory to God. You ought to give praise to God. I will not take anything. This is not a time for that. This is a time for God to be glorified. I want you to know this is not a time for those things of giving. 
and receiving. I'm talking about giving and receiving in the sense that the, the prophet refused Naaman. Naaman was, wanted to give it to him as a ransom for what he had done. Elisha was saying, no, 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 it's God who did it. You need to recognize God, not me. I will not take anything. The God who I serve and before who I stand, I'm not taking anything. He continued to urge him, but he refused. Verse 17. So Naaman said, then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Why did he want two mule loads of earth? He was gathering the material to build an altar when he went home. They, would, they built altars out of earth, and he wanted it expressly from Israel. He's like, this place is the place where God resides. This place is where the true and living God is. I want to take that back to my pagan country. I'm not going to do any more burnt offerings or any sacrifice. My heart belongs to this God. This God is going to be my God. And I want to take a piece of your worship practice back home with me because we worship different back in Syria. And I need to be in tune with this God because there is no other God. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 18, yes, in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. He had a spirit of repentance. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. I want to speak to somebody. There are some of you who have given your heart to God. You really love him. You've had an experience with God that has changed your life, but you're in an environment that dishonors him. And you walk around every day with a guilt complex. Naaman knew that I'm going back to my job, and I know what that culture is like. I know what the environment is like. I know how they behave. I know how they worship. And when I go back, he's going to lean on my hand. He's going to have me next to him. If he did it when he was a leper, how much more is he going to do it now that he's clean? But he said, when that happens, may the Lord please pardon me. The word pardon is there twice. He said, pardon me now. Pardon me when I go back to my master. And when this thing happens, because it's going to happen, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Let's go to the last verse. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Here's what I want you to see. God has always been gracious. There's this notion of grace and truth that you know, the letter was given in the Old Testament and then grace came, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. It's not one or the other. They both are so. And that's why we need to maintain a spiritual balance. If it's all truth, then the letter kills but the spirit is what makes alive. If it's all grace, then anything goes. I'm justified in anything. No, no, no. You got to walk in grace and truth. And we see the release of the grace of God in these words. He told him to go in peace. As servants of God, we need to know our authority. Elisha knew he had the authority to release grace and to tell him to go in peace. He asked him for pardon twice. He said, go in peace. You good. 
I've seen the work that God has done in your heart. For some of you who are walking around feeling guilty because of the environment you're in, I'm telling you, go in peace. Because as long as your heart is fixed and your mind is made up, you can be like Naaman in the muddy places, but you're still going to be clean. His skin was like a baby's. The lily in the valley will keep you clean. Only don't give yourself over to those things. He had already confessed, when they worship, I'm not going to worship. I will not. I'm going to take these two mule loads of earth, and I'm going to build an altar, and that's where I'm going to worship. But I'm going to be among people, powerful people, who do things a certain way. I want you to know that in my heart, I shall not be moved. I, while I'm doing my job, would you pardon me? And he said, go in peace. The grace of God be released upon you today. Only be steadfast in your heart. Don't miss God. Don't let your pride get in your way. Humble yourself in the sight of God. And today, my prayer for many is that you would receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God, what does that mean? And how does it happen? Jesus gave us very clear instruction. He said, which of you, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone? And then he said, you being evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God is a loving Father. He's a loving Father who will not withhold any good thing from you. And right where you are, if you say, Lord, today I want to receive my sight. And Lord, today I want to be filled with your Spirit. I promise you, by the word of God and by all that is holy, he will fill you with the spirit. Some people have been on the doorstep of the spirit, receiving the spirit. And because of tradition, tradition has made the word of God of no effect. Because you're told that it has to be like this or it has to be like that in order to be of God. Let me tell you what Jesus did when he was with his disciples before he ascended. He said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he did something. He breathed. The Spirit is like the breath of God. You can't see it but you can feel it. You can feel it. And when it's stirring, I can't see the wind, but when I look out my window and I see the leaves stirring, even though I'm in my house, I can see that there's something moving. The Spirit of God is like that. And the Spirit of God can move in your house right now. The Spirit of God can enter into you right now. Jesus said, receive the Spirit. He first said, his Father gives the gift to anyone who asks. All you have to do is ask him, and he'll give it. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's all Jesus did. Is there any doubt that they received it? Is there any doubt in anyone's mind that they received it. But what was the evidence? I was taught, raised up in a holiness church, that there needs to be some evidence. And I understand that. And the evidence that is referred to as tongues, but there are four levels of tongues. Mostly we refer to Pentecost, but you know the tongues that they spoke in? 
were speaking languages of all the people who were represented. I've heard stories of people who've gone to nations like Russia. They didn't know Russian. They never spoke Russian. They preached for 45 minutes in Russian. That's speaking in tongues like Pentecost. I've never had that experience. I've never spoke in a language that I didn't learn. That's what happened on Pentecost. So if you're looking for the evidence at Pentecost, you have to do what was done at Pentecost. But most of us don't have that understanding. I speak in tongues, but not that. It's not a language that I haven't learned. If it is, I'm not aware of it. But then there's also tongues of angels. There's also an unknown tongue. And all this is supported by Scripture. Maybe one day we'll go through all four of those. Why am I saying this? This isn't about tongues. It's about evidence. And the evidence, you will know when you receive it. The, the disciples, when they received it, when he breathed on him, I guarantee you they knew that they were filled in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. There are times when they all prayed together after Peter and James and John were beaten and they went back to them and they began to pray for boldness in the book of Acts. And they said, the Bible says, the foundation where they were shook and they were all filled with the Spirit. Receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. I pray that the gift there's also a gift of tongues, a gift. And that's when Paul said, do all speak in tongues? No, no. He said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm only saying this. I don't want to make tongues a barrier to you receiving a gift that God gives to every one of his children freely who ask him. Because that can obstruct, be an obstruction to your faith. And may the gift of tongues come to you. I would to God that every one of you speak with tongues. But I'm not talking about, that's not what the issue is here today. It's receiving your sight and receiving the Spirit of God. I mentioned to you two weeks ago, I was at an a all-night prayer meeting in South Philly at In the Light. And one of the young pastors in the city was talking about his children, one is six and one is eight, and how they're learning the ministry of the Holy Ghost at a young age. It blessed me just to hear it. And he said, they have conversation. They say, Daddy, I feel a tingling. Is that the Holy Spirit? He said, yes, son, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God. You will know when you are filled with the Spirit. Let no tradition obstruct your faith. Know that God's word is true. And if God our Father says he'll give us the gift, if we ask him, he will do it. Just as Jesus breathed on the disciples, the breath of God be upon you today. Receive it. We have to be more intentional as we bring people into the kingdom for people to have the Spirit of God because then God will be able to get some Elishas in Philadelphia and in Brooklyn and in South Side of Chicago so that when those in power reach the limits of their power, they'll know there's a prophet among them. God is raising up some people. He's stirring up some people. Paul of Tarsus was the least likely. The people in the church wanted nothing to do with them. They were afraid of them. God raised up someone that we'll fear, that we'll say, this person can't be of you, and then show us by your power. Because there's some things that only God can do. And there's enough flesh, enough of people wanting to be seen and to get credit for what only God can do. To God be the glory. Receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost today. May the power of the Holy Ghost fall upon your house. May the power of the Holy Ghost fall in your car. Wherever you are, let the Spirit of God stir. 
May it be like the wind stirring up the leaves. Let there be a stirring. Let there be a stirring. God put a word in somebody's mouth that someone would speak truth to power. Let them know there's a prophet among us. God, let your people in their hearts settle it and say it is so. And so it is. God is working. He's still working. He's never stopped working. Our eyes have been in the wrong place. Let the scales fall from some eyes today, God, that we might see you high and lifted up as your servant who heard you speaking and then said, here am I, send me, and who saw you high and lifted up. May we hear, may we see spiritually unstop our spiritual ears and open our spiritual eyes that the word that you have spoken would come to pass and when those who hear see it they will know that there is a God in Philadelphia and there is a God wherever you are watching and listening that God wants you to, to know who he is. Some of you might be like Jacob, who in Bethel had an encounter and said, the Lord is in this place and I have not known it. May you be awakened to the God that you haven't known. May you be awakened to that God today, for that is the God that I proclaim to you. God bless you. God keep you. And keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church/giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.